listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So the past two weeks, we talked about influence. We talked about God's design for generosity. And if you have some examples of that, those are on there. You can write those too. And today we're going to be talking about God's blueprint for community. And so as things come up, please write those on the back. You know, I was thinking this week uh, about community. And we really, we live in a community-obsessed culture, inside and outside the church. Now, whatever you're into these days, there is a community out there. And y'all, so I went down the rabbit hole online, and I started finding some of these different communities that exist. And y'all, there are some weird ones. There's a community for any cause you're passionate about. So I found the Association for Pet Obesity. And so if you're really passionate about making sure we all have skinny pets, there's a community for you out there. Uh, There's the International Association of Youth Hypnotists. That sounds like a bad idea, doesn't it? A bunch of teenagers running around hypnotizing people. But there's a community out there for that. I found one. This is probably my favorite one I found online, a community called Birds with Arms. This is a community for people who like to Photoshop arms onto birds. I brought some examples of their work. Uh, I think we have one example. Look at that. Isn't that great? I mean, only this guy. We're, we're going to put him on the safety team here. He means business. But, oh, y'all, thousands. There's thousands of these people, Okay. Of people who are like, I like photoshopping arms into birds, and people come together. Isn't that amazing? Why do these communities exist? Well, it's because, listen, y'all, we all have a desire not just to do something or even believe something, but to belong. And to gather around with people that do the same things and believe the same things. In fact, it's true at church. I mean, the number one reason I hear of why people are looking for a church is they say, we're looking for a community. Or, you know, we want to be connected. You know, and you would think, you would think in living in this culture that has such a high value for community with so many options, thousands of churches, thousands of associations, all the way down to birds with arms, you would think then surely that means we've all found it, right? That's why in our culture we have completely done away with loneliness and isolation. What a time to be alive. Y'all know that's not true. All the studies say that's not true. In fact, all the studies say we are the most lonely and isolated that we have ever been. Because just as we live in a world that's community obsessed, we're also community disappointed. We can't seem to find what we're looking for. How can that be? Well, as I was thinking this week and I was reflecting on God's word, I think it comes down to we are sadly mistaking about one thing. There's one way that we are usually at odds with God's design, and it's this, and it's the main point of our sermon today. It's this. Community is not found. It is built. Community is not found. It is built, and it's built according to God's design. So turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, verse 19 through 25 is what we're going to look at this morning. We'll start uh, reading in verse 19, and we'll have the verses on the screen for you as well. God's word says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, 
by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I think the first part of God's design for community is this. Community is built on the blood of Christ. Community is built on the blood of Christ. That's the foundation. Without the blood of Christ, you and I, we have no hope of finding any sort of community. You know, you may have noticed these verses, they're, they're saturated. They are filled, just one after the other, with references to the Old Testament temple worship. And that's because the entire, the entire Old Testament system, all of the worship, it was intended, it was designed to point us to Christ and help us understand what his blood was doing. And so the author of Hebrews here, he talks about us entering in the holy places. That's a reference to the holy of holies, the innermost part of the temple. Now, from the Old Testament understanding, this innermost part of the temple, this is God's dwelling place with man. This is the epicenter of his glory. This is where God dwelt. In fact, that's the reason they hated the Samaritans so much. So they hated the Samaritans so much because the Samaritans said, well, you know what? We're going to actually go set up our own temple somewhere else, and we're going to worship God over there. And the Jews were like, no, you can't do that because God's not over there. God's here in the Holy of Holies in the temple. That's where he is. Now, if you were a uh, good devout Jew. I mean, you're following the law, you're doing all the stuff, you're there, you know, every Sabbath, the whole thing, at best, you could get four chambers removed from God's presence. See, this temple was built with kind of a a series of uh, courtyards. And the farthest out, outside the temple, that was called the court of the Gentiles. So that's where the Gentiles had to stay. All the Gentiles are out there, they're out there eating bacon, doing who knows what all else out there. Then you had the court of women, then you had the court of Israel, and then to go any farther, you had to be a priest. Then you had the court of priests, where sacrifices happened, then you had the holy place, and then within that was the holy of holies. And so the writer of Hebrews, though, says Jesus has made a way for us to to go through a curtain, because protecting, kind of guarding the holy of holies was this curtain. And one guy, one time a year, could go through that curtain. That's it. And he went through terrified. In fact, they had to tie rope to him because if a sinful man enters the presence of the holy God in an inappropriate way, he's done. And nobody else can go in there and get him because then he's going to be dead. And then, you know, you got a stack of bodies real quick. What are you going to do? So they tie rope to him because if he had entered in an unworthy way, they'd have to pull him out of there. That's why he says we enter by the blood of Christ. We enter sprinkled clean. He's talking about the way a priest had offered sacrifices for forgiveness of his sins. So he had to, uh, these sacrifices, you you really couldn't worship in the Old Testament without these sacrifices because you had to be cleansed of your sin and your unworthiness. And your sin meant you were supposed to die, but God provided a way for an innocent animal to die in your place to forgive your sins. And then they would have all these cleansing rituals that would picture the way God, through those sacrifices, would wash him clean from his sin. And so once blood was shed of an animal, these rituals were done, then one guy, one time a year, could enter into God's presence. And that is why, y'all, verse 20 is a cataclysmic, jaw-on-the-floor, 
unbelievable change. Old Testament Jews would have been shocked, appalled, wowed, speechless from what the writer of Hebrews is saying in verse 20. He is saying that Jesus has built a new and living way for us to enter into God's presence. The moment Jesus climbed on the cross, it changed the way the people of God worship forever. He says that because we enter through his flesh, because he, his flesh was broken, you and I, we can always, we're not that like that priest with the ropes tied around us in fear and trepidation. We can always have confidence that God himself, that he tore that curtain forever and we are always welcome into his presence. Because Jesus himself is our high priest, he says, that, we can, that means we can always be confident that God himself is working for us, not just another man. He says, because of the blood of Jesus, we know our hearts, not just the outside, our hearts have been sprinkled clean. And so we can always be confident we're never too dirty, we're never too tarnished to enter into God's presence. That's one way that the cross changed how we worship. The second way, he says, I think is the one we often miss. But it's big. Here's the difference. It's no longer a he that enters God's presence. It's a we. Everything in this passage from here on out is plural. It's all of us drawing near together, not just one guy. The blood of Jesus, because of the blood of Jesus, the community can enter God's presence together. Now, our individualistic kind of lone, ring, lone ranger culture, our tendencies, you know, we think the blood of Jesus is really just about me and God. That's what it's about. In fact, I think most of us, if we were writing this passage, we would write it very differently. You know, most of we would say, you know, we'd, we'd fill it with the singular you. We'd say, well, because of the blood of Christ, you can enter the holy place. You can draw near. You can have confidence. But y'all, that's not what the writer says. That's not what the Bible says. He, he very naturally could have, written it that, could have written it that way. Instead, he says, let us draw near. Verse 22, that let us draw near in verse 22, that is a call to worship for a community, for all of God's people to come together around him. Jesus undid Babel. Remember the Tower of Babel? Because of our sin, we're not just separated from God. We're scattered, physically scattered and through our language. You can picture it like we're all planets revolving around the sun in the solar system. And sin was a big bang. And it spread us, and as it spread us from that center, it spread us apart from each other. And what Jesus does is by bringing us back into the presence of God, he also brings us back closer to one another. That means, men and women, God's blueprint is that the blood of Jesus wouldn't just let you draw near on your own, it's that a whole community would draw near to God. That's why community can't just be found. It's built on the blood of Christ that brings us near to God. That's where we start when it comes with community. Let's keep reading. Verse 23, he says, So let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So there's a lot just in that one verse, but let me just point this out. Community is built on truth. Community is built on truth. He tells you, hold fast, cling to, don't let go of your confession. Now, what is a confession? A confession is a mutual agreement. It's 
It's what is beyond dispute, not just by you, but by everyone. And so a few weeks ago, you may remember, we recited the Apostles' Creed together. That is a Christian confession. It is something that's been true for all God's peoples at all times in all places. So we're not just spouting our opinion. This is shared, mutually agreed upon, beyond dispute truth. Now, by definition, you cannot have a confession on your own, by yourself. And there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people out there who want to just study the Bible on their own and come up with their own meaning. And we have a word for that. It's called heresy. Orthodoxy, on the other hand, is always found in community. So here's here's how this works. When we hold to our confessions, that it's not just my opinion, but is agreed upon truth from God himself, it reminds us We're not just united through our personal opinions, through our personal preferences, our favorite color of carpet, whatever it is. We believe in a truth that is far bigger than ourselves. You know what? That that absolute truth, men and women, it's it's like a needle and thread that weaves us together and sticks us together. Community has to be built on agreed upon truth. Let's keep going. Verse 24, he says, and... Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. I think what he's saying here is community is built on obedience. It is built on obedience to Jesus Christ. This word stir up, I love that he uses this word, and it's kind of fascinating that he does because really in the Greek and in English, it's usually used in a negative sense, a negative connotation. So uh, what do you, you know, it kind of means to agitate, to provoke, to prod somebody. And even today when we say, you know, think about things get stirred up, revolutions get stirred up, dissension gets stirred up, arguments get stirred up. What the author's saying is we are different. Christians are different. What is it that we stir up? Love and good deeds. Love and good deeds. That's what we provoke and bring out of one another. By the way, those two things, love and good deeds, those are synonyms. Those are synonyms. Jesus said... The summary of the whole law, all the good deeds you're supposed to do are summarized how? Love God and love others. Love and good deeds, they go together. So, do you want to live a life of love? Do you want to do good works and do good things? What Hebrews is saying is you need relationships with other believers to do that. Now, I know, I know there's some introverts in the room right now that think that's crazy. But it's true. He's saying you need others to provoke these things out of you. Now, there's one thing I want us to notice, and it's so easy to miss. The command here, it's active, not passive. That means the emphasis is on the giving, not the receiving. You see that? So, you know, he he could have said, hey, go and be stirred up. He didn't say that. He said, you stir up. And you know what? It's the same way with every one another in Scripture. Next verse, we're going to read about encouraging. And again, it is active, not passive. The emphasis is going to be on the giving, not on the receiving. Now, we usually do the opposite. You know, we usually make decisions around church based on what we're receiving, not what we're giving. But have you ever stopped thinking, you know, maybe the reason you need to come to church, maybe the reason you need to come to life group isn't for you. It's because God wants to use you to stir up love and good deeds in others. That's his design. 
That's the way the scripture put it. So this is what makes church different than like Saltgrass Steakhouse, okay? You go to Saltgrass Steakhouse, you go to receive a good steak. That's, that's the passive. That's not how it works in scripture. In scripture, we all show up to cook a great steak together and all enjoy it together. That's the difference. You know, you can, you can find a good restaurant. You can find a good cup of coffee. You can find a good lazy boy. I've done that, and praise God for it. It's great. You can't find community. It doesn't work the same. Community is built. It requires your participation. And until you are willing to give it, you'll never find it. That's the way God's designed it. What he's saying here, and I've seen it, your presence here, just speaking for me, your presence here causes me to live out what I say I believe. It pulls these love and good deeds out of me in a way that wouldn't come on its own. And I, I know many of you are the same. Listen, if you are at this church more than five minutes, I know there are people here who, man, just being around them makes you better. Just being around them makes you want to follow Jesus. I know it. I've seen it. I've experienced it. And so, you know what? Now, now may be a good time to pull that card we gave you back out. Ask yourself, who has stirred up love and good works in you? Maybe it's because you've watched them and you've seen them. Maybe they've done something personally to love you well, and it ends up being reciprocal. It pulls those same things out of you. I encourage you to take that and write that down and let us know about it. But remember, community is built on obedience and that obedience happens as we extract love and good needs out of one another. That's how it happens. We'll keep going. Verse 25, he says, now he's going to give a negative command. So that's a positive. Here's a negative. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but instead encouraging one another. You see the active there, not the passive? And all the more as you see the day drawing near. I think in this verse, God's word is telling us community is built on fellowship in the spirit. Community is built on fellowship in the spirit. It's really interesting. This word, uh, he says, encourage, this command he gives us to encourage one another, parakaleo, it's the same word that in John 14, Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit. The encourager, or some translations will say the helper. That's what the Holy Spirit is called. And so I think the author, you know, I think he's saying here that the tool that the Holy Spirit, the encourager, the helper, the tool he is going to use to do his encouraging, to do his helping, is one another. That's how he operates. God's blueprint for encouraging you is to use other Christians. But, he says, it doesn't happen without good habits. Now, why did he have to say that? You know, we, we don't want God to work through our habits, do we? We want God to zap us. I want to be zapped. You know, and a lot of times we do, we kind of see the Holy Spirit like God's lightning bolt. And if I wait long enough, pray one enough, I don't know, and maybe whenever he'll just decide to zap me and fix everything. And that happens sometimes. But we also have to remember that God designs us with for rhythms and normalcy and uh, patterns of life. And those rhythms and those patterns of life are what influence us and change us. Think about it this way. 
Let's say I wanted to lose weight. I didn't hear any amens. Thank you. I want to lose weight, and I'm st- I really need to, and I'm so committed to this that, you know what, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go eat one healthy meal. But, hey, it is going to be the healthiest meal you've ever seen. I mean, we're going to pull out all the stops. We're going to have the organic kale. We're going to have the toxin-free quinoa. We're going to have it all. It's going to be the healthiest meal the world's ever known. Listen, I don't care how healthy that one meal is. It will not change you. It won't. Consistency over time will lead to change. And that is part of God's design. Now, apparently, we have to use your brain, stretch our minds a little bit to even imagine this. Apparently, in their culture, people had some bad habits. I know. I mean, apparently, good habits were hard to make. Bad habits were hard to break. Thankfully, we've evolved past that. You know, in some ways, I think it's even harder for us today. We have have some things that they never could have dreamed to keep them away from gathering together. We have some enemies, some foes that are deadly. They are deceitful. And that, guys, I have to confess, I often succumb to, I am often powerless to overcome. And that foe that I'm thinking about is pajama pants. Right? Right? Man, they, they make them so comfy these days. Along with my TV and my couch. and Guys, we are bombarded with all sorts of things today that promise to keep us comfortable in exchange for the nominal price of keeping us away from God's design for community. And those things, I think, are particularly Uh, tempting in times of fear and uncertainty. And those times we we look to, to comfort even more. The greater the fear and the uncertainty, the more tempting the pajama pants. At least that's how it works in my life. But notice how he said how he ends the verse. Notice what he says. He says, okay, this meeting together, this encouraging, this this poking and prodding one and on, he does all the more as you see the day draw near. Now, in your Bibles, that day should be capitalized because he's talking about a very specific time, a time known as the end, the end times. And the Bible uh, describes the end times. I think probably the best English translation would be cray-cray. It's going to be insane. Roars, wars, rumors of wars, more fear and uncertainty than literally the earth has never known. So what does he say to do when that time comes? He says, meet, meet more and more, meet, meet, meet. He's saying the Lone Ranger Christians, they're going to drop like flies. But God has designed a way for you to be sustained even in the toughest of times. Meet together. It's his community. It's this supernatural type of community. And we ought to be asking, how do we get it? How do we get that type of community? Well, you'll never just stumble upon it. It's not like finding a good restaurant. We have to build it. And we build it on the blood of Christ. We build it around his truth and around obedience to him that we pull out of one another. And we build it with the help of and in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And I got to be honest, guys, as I was reading this passage this week, I came face to face with how much 
my natural inclinations don't match what the scripture is saying. And I really, I think there's two ways, two ways that our natural inclinations are at odds with God's design when it comes to community. Here's the first one. We we misunderstand how we grow. We think sanctification is personal. It's not. Salvation is personal. Sanctification, that is how we grow, that is a group exercise. Think about it. Today's passage is the perfect example. Y'all, this is one of the most beautiful, dense, powerful explanations of our salvation, of what the blood of Christ has accomplished, how the blood of Christ has united us with God. And isn't it interesting that the author's application isn't personal, it's communal. He says, therefore, because of all that Jesus has done, because of we've been saved by the blood of Christ, therefore, meet together. Stir up one another. Encourage one another. So you were saved as an individual, yes, but you grow as a community. This is so important. It's so important for us to understand because when we misunderstand this, when we see sanctification is only about my personal internal struggle with sin and my personal internal relationship with God, what's the natural thing for me to do? Well, I'm going to go looking for a community that helps me with my right? That's natural. Men and women, that's what our culture says to do. That is not what the Bible says to do. The Bible says, instead of looking, build it. And build it not for me and my, build it for us and our. There's three main metaphors in the Bible for the church, for the community of God. The first first is a body. And each individual is just a part of that body. The second is a temple. Each and, and each one of us is just a stone in that temple. The third is a kingdom. And each one of us is just a citizen in that kingdom. And there is no concept in any of those passages that an individual can grow apart from the whole. My pinky finger can't grow separated from my body. If you don't believe me, just go find Steve Hudson and ask him about his finger. How's, how's it doing now that it's detached from his body? Not well. I'm telling you, I, I think when we get to heaven and we're there with all these saints from all over the world, from all different times and places, and we say things like, you know, I don't really go to church because it wasn't helping me grow. Or, you know, I go because the preaching is good, but I don't really get involved. Y'all, they are going to look at us like we have grown a third eyeball in our forehead. They're going to be like, where did you get that from? It's not in the Bible. Do you want God to bless you? Do you want him to work in your life? Do you want him to heal you, encourage you, help you, deliver you? In his word, he has given a blueprint for how he wants to do that. And here's his plan. To connect you with other believers, centered around him. You show up and give your gifts away. They do the same. And together, we build a community and the community grows. That is biblical sanctification. So you will never grow looking for community. You will grow when you build community by God's design. So that's the first thing I think we're mistaken about. We mistake how we grow. Here's the second thing. We mistakenly think that community can be found through consumption. You know, the temptation is to try to find a community that's perfectly tailored to me. And listen, understand, I have that temptation too. I love things that are perfectly tailored to me. It's perfectly natural. But the danger comes 
when we trust that desire more than we trust God's design. That's the danger. And y'all, we live in a culture, listen, this, this is the tragedy of the Bible Belt is that there are full, we are full of Christians who will spend their whole life, their whole life trying to find community by essentially making demands of other Christians and saying, okay, okay, here's the plan. You preach me a good sermon. You lead me in some good music. You have something fun for my kids. And just maybe, just maybe, if you all work together and you all do it just right, then I can find community. Men and women... Nowhere in God's blueprint does God say you'll find community like that. You won't. It will always evade you. You know, Hebrews here, it says we have to meet regularly. Well, we should ask, what kind of meeting is that? I mean, we can meet together and do a lot of things. Well, let's remember the context. In context, it ought to be the kind of meeting that facilitates each believer encouraging one another and stirring up love and good deeds. That's the kind of meeting we should regularly be doing. And y'all, that is behind why we structure Bethel the way we do in so many ways. That's why it's our desire that we, we want to organize every believer into some sort of small group, life group, Bible study. Because those are the environments where you can all show up, stir one another up, and encourage one another. That's why this morning, this very morning, all of our classrooms were filled with us encouraging and stirring one another up of all different ages. That's why the people on this stage are members of our body. That's why we do things like elder prayer. Because we want each and every person stirring up and encouraging one another. That is our hope for God to build a community here. You know, all too often, and I'm guilty of this too, people go looking for some made-up ideal of a community, but never committing to a real community. And they think it's going to help them. It's not going to help them. In fact, it will hurt them. Because eventually it's going to get messy. It's going to be more work than it's worth. They're going to get disappointed. And then they're going to leave. They're going to lash out. And I would argue, not only has this mentality, not only will you never find community, I think it has actually hurt communities. Because what does it do? It just leaves this trail of disappointment, hopelessness, hurt relationships behind. That's all it does. I like the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it. He said, those who love their dream of Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. Now, y'all, that quote punched me in the face this week. I've been mad at Dietrich all week, okay? Because that's painfully true is what that is. But I, it's true. I, found it in my, I find it in my heart. Maybe if everything was just tailored to me, then maybe this whole thing would be better. It's not true. It's not true. Get busy loving the Christian community itself. How about you? Do you want to be a destroyer of community? I don't think you do. Do you want to be endlessly searching for it? Or do you want to be a builder? Do you want to be a builder of community? So this is my invitation. Here's my invitation to you. Stop looking for ideal community. You're not going to find it. Instead, let's follow God's design. Let's be a, a part of building his community. And I want to invite you to do it here. We've got a great thing started. We really do. How do you do it? First step, sign up for a life group. 
Again, we want to organize every believer into small groups. Not in it. Listen, you're gonna, that small group is not so you can go sit and listen to some amazing teacher. They may be a terrible teacher. I don't know. It's so you can go and everyone together can spur one another on and encourage one another. That's why we do it. So text the word community to that texted church number, 903-437-4437. And let me just say, if you're one of those people that as soon as I say that, as soon as I say that, you, you say, well, that's not for me. I'm going to plead with you to do something this week. Here's what I'm begging you to do. Open up your New Testament and read it this week. You pick where. It doesn't matter where. You pick where. It doesn't matter. And then you compare your picture of church with the Scripture's picture of church. And very quickly, you're going to find yourselves in a square peg, round hole situation. Here's what you do in that moment, exactly in that moment. Please remember, God loves you. And his designs are only for your good. Follow his designs. So please do that. You know what? Some of you, the takeaway may be, I need to form better habits. I need to be count. Wait, I need to stop counting on God to just zap me or find something perfect. Fight that, you know, throw away the pajama pants if you have to. We'll take up a donation maybe. Form good habits. Say, I'm going to show up regularly and count on that to change me. Not just one one amazing experience. And here's another application, I think. Fill out those cards. I can't tell you this week how it stirred up love and good deeds in me when I thought about you last week. And I wrote down some of your names. And that caused me all this week to remember more of your names and more of the events and more of the situations. And God used it in my life. So that may need to be what you do this week. Remember your community around you. Remember the people around you and write it down because, men and women, community is not found. It's built. And we can build it, right? Let's build it. This gets me fired up. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.